Okay, we're going to start at the bottom of page 29. Seventh hour, government. Page is in the AP version, and I'm in the everybody else section, and we're doing group projects about the Constitution. My group has to do the Eighth Amendment, which is the one about cruel and unusual punishment. I'm not sure why group work isn't counted in that amendment, especially when it's a group with Paul Willard and Kyle Marshall. Well, Kyle is okay, not stupid or a bad group member, but he keeps frowning at me when I talk like I'm speaking in another language. Paul's just dead weight. He's flirting with Ashley Jones, who's actually in the group next to us, and she's got her hand on his knee. Paul's hard-on is probably keeping him from thinking about the Eighth Amendment. Kyle kicks Paul under the table. He dipshit. You're in charge of finding three sources about the Eighth Amendment. Paul smiles one more time at Ashley, then turns back to us. Why can't she do it? He looks at me. Liz has other stuff to do. This is your shit. Whatever. He scoots his chair closer to Ashley and starts whispering in her ear. I turn back to Kyle. So, what's my job? Find three sources about why the death penalty isn't considered cruel and unusual punishment. Sure thing. I grab my books and go to the front of the room. Mr. Alonzo is looking through his desk for something, which I'm hoping is a breath mint because his breath is legendary. May I go to the library? I stand back a bit, just in case. Alonzo looks up at me, then at the clock. You've got five minutes until last bell. Sit down. He goes back to rummaging through the crap in his drawers. I go back to the table where Kyle and Paul are. They've started talking about what's going on this weekend, and neither of them is paying attention to me, which is great. I watch the clock for four minutes. When the bell goes off, Paul stands up before I can and kicks my chair. Later, he, she, it, girl. Get your sources. You got it, asshole. When he turns around to look at me, I give him the finger very calmly. He laughs but not in a, in a nice way, and reaches out to grab my hand and break it, but I pull away. Kyle stands and watches, waiting to see the fight. Nobody moves. Paul is the first one to give, and by the time he and Kyle are at the door, he's laughing and looking for Ashley to flirt with. Mr. Alonzo doesn't say a word. I stay back until everybody else is out of the room, and then I go home. I will survive, Jackoffs. Just watch me. Okay, so this is an actually a, a pretty interesting segment. Um, something that I want everybody to look at and, and try to pay attention to is uh, the, the impact that uh, pronouns that are inappropriate, such as he, she, it, girl, have on a person who is transgendered. Um, obviously, we can see a turn in, in Gabe as a character. Gabe is pretty calm. He's, he's trying to remain as, as polite as he possibly can be, but as soon as... Um, you know, as soon as Paul says he, she, it, girl, uh, we can see Gabe snapping, and we actually see him curse. He calls Paul uh, an asshole, and that's something that we don't really see from Gabe. Uh, Gabe doesn't curse, but, you know, as soon as these inappropriate pronouns are used, uh, something is triggered within Gabe. So what is the impact? Why is that impact there, and, and what does that say about Gabe as a character? On the other end, what does that say about Paul and Kyle? You know, what kind of characters are these uh, two gentlemen that Gabe is unfortunately, um, you know, grouped up with? And then the next thing I want you to, it, to sort of think about is, well, okay, so we know Kyle and Paul are, are jerks, but Gabe called Paul an asshole, and, and there was a standoff at the ending. So obviously the author is trying to tell us something here, but... What that is, is is up to you to figure out. So I want you to try to make a prediction. 
what do you think is going to happen with Kyle and Paul? And do you think these guys are going to be a major part of this story? Do you think that Gabe calling Paul an asshole is going to come back to bite Gabe in the butt? What's going to happen with these two characters and Gabe as a whole? So just make some predictions. Are, are they going to just go about and, and not come back into the narrative in any way? Or are they going to do something... Um, are they going to do something extreme? Who knows? But that's up to you to find out. Alrighty, I am on page 64, starting in the middle of the page. <clears throat> when I walk by the garage, my dad's in there staring at his tools. The radio's blasting classic rock. It's usually that or public radio, the talk part of it. He turns his head toward me, but he's looking at the ground. Hey Liz, I know I'm a little late on this, but what do you think I should make for mom for Mother's Day? He fancies himself a woodworker, and he's not bad, but some of the stuff he makes doesn't work. I ignore the fact that he didn't call me Gabe. How about a clock? Maybe a symbol one? The last clock was so crazy it looked like Dr. Seuss made it. How about a jewelry box? It doesn't have moving parts. Sure, she's got a ton of jewelry. Then it's settled. What were you doing over at John's? They don't know about my show, and I'm not going to tell them about the contest. Hanging out and talking music. Have you thought about a job? Not that it's bad to chat with John, but a job might be a better use of your time. Dad turns back to his tools. I, um, it's hard to imagine working as Liz when that's not me. The storm clouds close over his face in an instant. Getting a job is the primary issue, not what your name is. You have no idea what the primary issue is. Whoops, but there it is. Elizabeth Mary Williams, you do not talk to your father like that. My mother is there all of a sudden and acting like I tried to murder him with a hammer. She goes over to my dad. Forget being nice, they've already permanently, they're already permanently disappointed in me, so who cares? First of all, my name is Gabe, so get used to it. Gabriel Joseph. And my name matters because I'm a guy. Get it right. Dad slams down the piece of wood he's holding and glares at it. Listen here, young lady. Having one's daughter suddenly declare she's a man is pretty mind-blowing, so just give us a goddamn chance. You may think you know who you are and what you want, but you're also young and maybe a little foolish. Besides that, it's time for you to go to college, so if you had a job, your college fund would look a hell of a lot better. He's angrier than I've ever seen him. So, what I want to... Uh, what I want you guys to think about when reading this section is um, Gabe and his parents' relationship. Obviously, they, in this particular section, are not trying very hard to accept Gabe for who he is, to call him by his name and by the correct pronouns. So what I want you guys to do is to um, make a prediction about whether or not they ever get to a place where they can respect him, his pronouns and his name um, and be comfortable with who he is. And then another thing I want you to think about is kind of, um, I want you to compare their reactions to him coming out, to him being a man, to John's reaction to him coming out. Because um, at this point, John is very clearly trying to accept Gabe for who he is, or not accept, that's the wrong word, but he's trying to use the right pronouns, the right name. Every time he does screw that up on accident, he immediately corrects himself, whereas Gabe's parents just kind of gloss over the whole Gabe's, Gabe thing. So think about those couple of questions, and um, yeah, we will talk about it.
reading from page 164 of Beautiful Music for Ugly Children. A cat from a Guinness pint? That stuff looks like sand. Bitter and thick, just like me. But I've been off this stuff since June 26, 1979. He flips it into my hand. Read the date. Written inside the bottle cap is 624. Uh, they imported Guinness to the U.S. in 1974. That's not what matters. That's the day they left me. You wrote it down on a bottle cap? was the biggest day of my life. Then I proceeded to get wrecked out of my mind every single day for the next five years. What else are you supposed to do when your family drives away? His voice is so quiet I can barely hear him. I have no idea what to say to that statement or to any of it. I'm sorry. Me too. He takes the bottle cap back from me, looking like someone's died. Maybe we should do something else. Once John put the bottle cap in it, I put the lid back on the box and move it to the shelf across the room. I think that's wise. He swipes at his eyes. When you walk down memory lane, you gotta watch out for the boulders. But as long as we're telling secrets, I've got one more. He opens the closet door, shoves stuff around, then pulls out a battered, crap-ass guitar. Okay, it's not impressive, as secrets go. This came from Tupelo, Mississippi. Scratch that. This secret is huge. Giant. Elvis got his guitar from Tupelo Hardware when he was 11, which has to mean the guitar in John's hand is one of the most revered pieces of American history. Legend says Elvis wanted a rifle instead, but he took what his mom gave him. How the hell did you get it? Won it off a guy in Vegas in a backroom poker game. How much is it worth? I'm not trying to ship bricks. The beginning of rock and roll is in your closet, dude. He smiles at me. Though the sadness about his family is still in his face. Someday it's yours. No way. I could never be trusted with something that amazing. Let's not worry about it now. He puts the guitar way, way in the back of his closet. Right, or I'll start worrying about robbers breaking in and killing you just for that guitar. John comes back to the table. Let's get to work, huh? You didn't have to show that stuff to me. You told me your secret. I should tell you some of mine. He busies himself in the crates on the floor under the computer. How about that Elvis show? I switch him back on, though I'm still thinking about the guitar. Lipstick Vogue explodes into the room. He didn't seem appropriate to the conversation. We should have had old country drinking songs on, John says. Now he's a little more like the John I know. Not the one caught in the past. Today let's go chronological with Elvis, but let's do it all. Gospel, Vegas, singles, everything. You got it. And for the next two hours, we put together 50 minutes of Elvis's best. Somewhere in there, I swear, I hear a thank you in my head. But I'm not sure. Maybe Elvis is glad to get some airtime. We're at the station, and John settled into the corner of the booth with a Pepsi and a cigarette. Not lit, just one he's playing with. Paige is in the other corner, trying not to touch stuff, but she'd mess with everything if I'd let her. Welcome, welcome, friends, to Beautiful Music for Ugly Children, with a special welcome to the UCB. I'm Gabe, of course, and tonight is an Elvis night. Why Elvis? He's the only man who blended bluegrass, country, and rhythm and blues all together, and he brought the world a whole new style. Not to mention a whole new set of jokes about his sad old fat self long after he changed the musical world. 
poor man. To start us off, here's the one that got him going. First played in Memphis in 1954 by this town's own John Burroughs. Gabe admires Elvis for fearlessly flowing between different genres of music, experimenting with his voice, identity, and overall beliefs about music and how it should sound. Elvis invented his own sound, and it couldn't be defined by anybody. In what ways is Elvis's musical accomplishments a precedent for the obstacles Gabe has to face in society that constantly wants to define the undefinable? <laughs> 